a uh, series called Parabolic. And with that, we are looking at the parables of Jesus. We are looking at, uh, no, not all of them, but we're looking at the parables of Jesus. And the word parable comes from the Greek word parabola. And so that says we begin to look at the parables. I just Parabolic was just a great title to me. And uh, other people may not get that excited about math, but... I always liked math in school. So, and with the cool thing about parabolas and parabolic equations is they all every parabola has a central focus. And Jesus did not tell these parables without trying to communicate a a central idea. Now there are all sorts of wonderful things because God's word is deep. And there's so many wonderful things that you can get out of all of the parables. But we don't want to dig around on the peripheral and miss the central focus. So as we're going through these, we're wanting to make sure that the central focus of of this parable, that we are getting this on the inside of us. If you've missed any of these, you can get them on iTunes or go to our website and, and, and download them. And so I just want to encourage you to go for this week. We're we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to be starting in verse uh, 21 through 35. There was this uh, uh, lady that started having some symptoms, started not feeling well, and she was smart, and she decided to go to the doctor. Okay, we know that. Jehovah Rapha, God is our healer. We know that he is our source. The doctor does not have the last word. The doctor does not tell us how it's going to end, but he can tell us what battle we're fighting and give us, put us in the direction. If there's something natural we can do, we can do that. Doctor, Going to the doctor is a good thing. This lady was smart. She went to the doctor. Went to check out and see what's going on in her body. She gets to the doctor. Doctor runs some tests, goes through everything, and comes back and man, he's got some bad news for this lady. And the lady comes in and says, "Ma'am, you know I'm not exactly sure how this happened, but but you've contracted rabies." And uh, doctor's pager goes off, and he has to go out and and handle some stuff, and steps out of the room. And as he comes in, he's left this lady to just kind of think on the fact that she's contracted rabies. And he steps back in, and then there's this lady, and she's got this this pad of, of paper and this pen. And man, she's just writing feverishly. And uh, he's like, ma'am, are, are you okay? You know, are, are you writing your will? Or what, what's going on? And she said, no, I'm making a list of everybody I'm going to bite. <laughs> and uh, this morning we're going to talk about a little bit of forgiveness. <laughs> and because uh, that is one of the central things of our relationship with God is what Jesus died to give us. And then once we've got forgiveness, we go, what do we do with this? What do we do with this whole truckload of forgiveness that God has dumped on us? And, and then there's, there's people we deal with in life. And how does this whole forgiveness thing work? So we're looking at Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35. So let's, let's read it together. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. That's the NIV version. Lots of versions say 70 times seven. And uh, at any rate, however you look at it, it's a lot more than seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 
since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt the servant fell on his knees before him and he begged him be patient with me and i will pay back everything the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go when that servant went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii he grabbed him and began to choke him pay back what you owe me he demanded this fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him be patient with me and I will pay you back but he refused instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt when the other servants saw what had happened they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened and the master called the servant in and said you wicked servant I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you in anger his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart Peter jumps in here and he wants to know forgiveness is one of those things we want to know our limits everybody wants to know the limits of everything and and we forgiveness is one of those and he's like what what are the limits here Lord what are where are the boundaries and we all want to know what the what are the boundaries of forgiveness and when have we forgiven enough I want to know when I can finally say Oop, I'm done I'm done with you you've pushed me to the limit when is enough enough see the rabbinical teaching at that time the standard rabbi taught that you ought to forgive three times so Peter he had you know already been with Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount he saw how Jesus took the, the standard teachings and he turned the heat up a notch he turned it up he's not don't only not don't murder don't even hate not only don't commit adultery don't lust Peter had seen this and so as he's asking Jesus Peter kinda jumps jumps the gun a little bit and he knows Jesus is gonna Oop, he's going to turn this up a little bit. So instead of the standard three, Peter Peter steps it up. Says seven, seven times. That's a quite a big jump jump from three. And then so he's like, maybe I've maybe I've beat Jesus to the punch here. Maybe I have figured out this thing, and I we just have to do it seven times. That's that's a lot more than th the standard three. And Jesus immediately lets him know, no, 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 not seven times but 77 times or 7 times 70 you're 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 the where you're supposed to go is way beyond where you can possibly think you're done when you think you're done you're not even close to being done is what Jesus was telling him it's not that there's a magic number and you can keep a little counter in your pocket and go all right 481 Whew. I'm about to be able to write this guy off. 490? I don't care what translation you look like. It ain't any more than 490. And I'm going to be able to boom, punch out. No, it's not that there's this magic number. It's, look, buddy, it is way beyond what you think you're done. It is so far past that. You just keep on forgiving. And for us to understand this, as Jesus gets into this parable, 
we have to first understand our responsibility to forgive. To understand our responsibility to forgive, we must recognize how much we have been forgiven. That's what this entire parable is about, is, is understanding our place of forgiveness. This guy in this parable forgot how much he had been forgiven. And then when he was in a place of having to forgive, he didn't even factor in how much his master had forgiven him. And for us to stand in the right place and be able to forgive each other, we have to keep it in the forefront of our mind how much God has forgiven us. Now this, this number 10,000 talents is in our little western mindset it's a little hard for us to wrap our minds around 10,000 talents. 10,000 is a big number but it's not that big of a number. I mean that's like $10,000. I mean you you know buy a used car for that or something. I mean that's you know that 10,000 we deal with that number on a regular basis. But 10,000 talents that's a whole other issue. Now, different people have calculated it in different ways. But um, you remember when we talked about the, the parable of the talents. And the talent was pretty much a standard measure of a year's wages. So you look at this, and this is 10,000 years wages. 10,000 years wages. I mean, you just live a long, long time and still not get up to that. We look in San Angelo's demographics. The standard household average according to Wikipedia is $38,665 a year. So you have 10,000 times 38,665. You have $386 million, a third of a billion that this guy owes. It's a lot of money. No lotto that I've ever heard of could you win and then pay your debt off. There's no, woo, come on, come on, lotto, come on this. There, there isn't any of that. Now, of course, there are plenty of billionaires in the world. Well, it depends on if you calculate a talent. If it was a talent as a weight, if it was a weight of gold, then 10,000 talents, a talent was 75 pounds. You have 10,000 chunks of 75 pounds of gold and 16 ounces in a pound, and you calculate that on what gold closed at this week at about $950 an ounce, you're looking at a little over $11 billion. However you break it down, however you want to look at it and see what could this talent be represented, it's a lot of money. It's crazy lot of money. Jesus was talking to the common folk there, and to say 10,000 talents was just like, what? How could even buy anybody even get into that much debt? How could you do that? You know, Michael Jackson just passed away and had something like $400 million worth of debt. You're like, what do you do to get $400 million? Obviously, it's something. There's somebody who loans out that kind of money. That's a, a lot of money. There is a huge, huge debt. Unpayable. Just not even able to deal with. And this guy gets forgiven this debt. He, <clears throat> now we, we, we're going to track forward and look at what he had to forgive. So he is forgiven this unpayable amount of money. Somewhere between a third of a billion and eleven billion dollars. Wiped clean. He's free to go. Not only, not to mention, is, he, is that off of his case, he gets to keep his wife and his children. He's about to lose everything. His wife and children, the whole, all of it gone and all of it is forgiven all of it is forgiven then he comes in contact he's got a clean slate 
he's not even having any compulsion of him needing some money so that he can kind of pay towards his own debt. And he comes in contact with a servant who owes a hundred denarii. Owes him a hundred denarii. And so maybe this was part of the money he had got from his master and he loaned it out to this other guy in this smaller chunk. And a hundred denarii, remember a, a denarii was the standard laborer's day wage. Just a standard day's wage. So a hundred days wage. Now that's not an unpayable amount of money. So we look at that and you look at just the standard labor rate. You know, if it's at $15 an hour, when you have 100 days worth of work in an eight-hour day, that'd be about $12,000. If you look at minimum wage, it's going to be about $6,400. So somewhere in that, it was a chunk of money. When Jesus picked 100 denarii, Jesus could have said two mites. Jesus could have said some, you know, there were other weights of money. He could have said one denarii, but he says a hundred. A hundred denarii is a chunk. I don't know about you, but I just don't want to see $12,000 just have to write that off. Somebody owes me 12000 bucks. I care about that. The people he's talking to, they cared about that. That was a debt. Jesus isn't making, with this story, he is not making light of the offenses that everybody brings. He's not saying, well, you know, that this offense that this person has brought against you is just nothing. You know, in comparison to what we've been forgiven, okay, absolutely it is. But in just everyday things, yeah. These offenses, these aren't, he's not calling them lightweight, nothing things. When he calls it a hundred denarii, that's a chunk of change. Most people won't sneeze at an extra six to twelve thousand dollars. And most people won't just be easily, oh yeah, forget about it. You know, no big deal. I got I got that much in my left pocket, so you know, some do. But most the average Joe that he's talking to here, that was a that was a chunk of money. And uh so he, this guy shakes him down for this money and won't let him go. One of the first things we have to keep in mind, we have to keep in mind, is how much we have been forgiven. And the only way to understand it is to understand our own sinful nature. See, so many times when we forget to forgive, we have forgotten how much we have been forgiven. We forgot how dead in our trespasses we were. See, Matthew 6, 12 tells us, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. They are connected. They are intertwined. There's a responsibility to forgive just as we have been forgiven. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When we look at this, the... Uh, a forgiving heart should be an expression of all that we have been forgiven. When you read through the uh, when you read through the epistles and Paul's writings, we see Paul growing in this. As believers, the longer we're around Christ, the more we learn, the more we mature, the greater our understanding of what we've been forgiven ought to be. We, ought, we shouldn't become more and more self-righteous and feel like we're all that and so good. We ought to grow in an understanding of, I can't, it is so un, unimaginable that I'm forgiven. 
I, it is just overwhelming that I am forgiven. Let's look at just the life of Paul. We look at 1 Corinthians 15.9. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, he writes this. He writes to 1 Corinthians around year 53. So around year 53, he writes that he is, as he's going along, he says that he is the least of all the apostles. Saying he doesn't even deserve to be an apostle. So here he is, his... his that he's the least of the apostles and he under he understands that flow not saying that he in his mind at that point he was thinking that he was better than everybody else just the least of the apostles but that was his that's his quote ephesians 3 8 as we move forward about seven to nine years ephesians was written somewhere in year 60 year 62 somewhere in there he says that he is the least of the saints the least of everybody that's ever been saved that he is the least of those as he has progressed here he is writing writing scripture that is scripture that he is pinning as he writes that he is the least of the saints he has been growing in his understanding of all that he has been forgiven he recognizes it then finally we get to a year later he's writing to Timothy in year 63 and refers to himself as the chief of sinners the least of the apostles the least of the saints and finally he sees himself as the most vile sinner that had ever walked the face of the earth that's the way he saw himself he recognized as he grew in Christ, as he went forward in his life, his understanding of all that had, he had been forgiven grew. That's why I was, I believe that's what made him so, so excited about carrying the gospel forward. And he was so impassioned about it, even as his fire did not get less and less and less with years. His passion grew every year he would just go forward and move forward and so want to carry the gospel to those that haven't heard and i think because his understanding of just how trapped and dead in our sins we are and how who he himself is and that that pushed him to this place and this forgiving heart was an expression of the fact that we have been forgiven. Romans 13, 8 says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Forgiveness is a central issue. Forgiveness is a central issue that Jesus was trying to communicate. He even used... Now, miracles, those are big deals, right? Miracles are, are big deals. And miracles are something that all flowed through Jesus' ministry. They, he, he used them to, to uh, solidify who he was. To, to point they were uh, fulfilling prophecy about him and his coming miracles are still for today Jesus still expresses himself on this earth through the miraculous but one of the things that we look at there in Matthew 9 is that Jesus actually used miracles to point towards a greater miracle and that greater miracle is the place of forgiveness that greater miracle is the place of being able to have a, a, reconnect, a reconnected relationship with God. It is actually way easier in the scope of the world for my arm to get chopped off and God to miraculously grow me a new one than it was for me to have a relationship with God. In our human minds, 
because we don't recognize our depravity and how sinful we, we've been. We think, oh my gosh, is a new limb growing? That's just unthinkable. But yeah, people can get saved. Sure. Yeah, no problem. When really the greatest miracle ever is the fact that we can be reconnected with Christ. Matthew 9, 6 says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he healed the paralytic, saying, Get up and take your mat and go home. So you know I can forgive. Here's a miraculous sign. So you don't worry about it. Forgiveness was, is such a central issue. Mark 2, 7 through 10, or 7 and 10 says, Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. And then he performed miracle. Our forgiveness is, is one of the central issues. It goes back to the original place where God created us to live and commune with Him and sin entered humanity. And forgiveness ooh, undoes that. The, the Jesus justly taking the price for you and I undoes that and puts us back in a place where we can commune with God and have connection with God just like He had originally designed us to. And then as we move forward in our parable we see ultimately that there are two kinds of servants they're the forgiven and the imprisoned the first guy or the guy with the 10,000 talents he, he had a debt he couldn't pay and he was just about to be imprisoned he was about to be in the imprisoned class I'm gonna throw you your family your children everybody into jail until you're able to pay the last dime oh my we're never getting out this is done and then he begs for forgiveness. He recognizes that, that he just needs, he needs patience. He needs mercy. And the master gives it to him. And then the other one, of course, he goes then and the, the other servant, his fellow servant, asks for the same thing. And he says, no, I'm going to hold you accountable for this. I'm not going to forgive you. We had already covered, I got ahead of myself on my notes, that Jesus is not downplaying the debt Oh, between the servants, it is significant. There, whenever we look at Luke chapter 17, verses 4 through 6, it says, If he sins against you seven times in a day, this is Luke's take on the same thing. It says, If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you, and says, I repent, then forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. This is not a lightweight deal. Forgiveness is not... I mean, that's why we, we... It's something we have to talk about as a group on a regular basis. One of the things that we are God's expression of His forgiveness. We have, to be, we have to be showing that. We have to be walking in it. And it is not an easy thing. You think about all of the different stuff that Jesus asked of, of the disciples. And this is one of the only times they're like, increase our faith. You don't want us to forgive? Increase our faith. Woo! Hold up, hold up. You can send us out to perform miracles. You can send us out to do all this other stuff. But you want us to forgive? You're going to have to do something on the inside. I can't do this. You're going to, Lord, you increase what's on the inside of me because I'm stuck. You want me to do that? 
oh increase our faith it is it is not an easy task we don't just gloss over the fact that walking in forgiveness is something that's just <clears throat> incredibly easy because really so many times when somebody hurts us we want them to know bare minimum a lot of times we want them to suffer we'll suffer but bare minimum we want them to know how much they hurt hurt us we want an acknowledgement anybody here ever have to forgive somebody that they never knew they hurt you that's a tough deal it's so much easier when they come and say they're sorry and and they're in front of you and that you see this and you recognize that they know that they hurt you For some reason it's a little easier to forgive we want people to know that they hurt us then we want them to recognize what they did there's a story this little uh this this little boy and his little sister were playing and back in a room and all of a sudden the the mom hears this little boy just screaming and she walks in and his little sister has two handfuls of hair and she's just on top of him just pulling his hair i mean she's just giving it all she can and he's just screaming so that mama comes in there and takes the little girl off and says, no, we're not supposed to do this, and sets the little boy aside, and he's still got the tears, and he's mad. She goes, now, now son, you're going to have to forgive because she doesn't know that she doesn't know that hurts. So he just sits there. Mama walks out, and all of a sudden she hears a little girl scream. And she steps back in there, and the little boy says, she knows now. <laughs> and we want to do that. Maybe you won't treat somebody this way if you know what it feels like. And we want to educate them on just how painful what they did to us is. That's not what God has called us to do. You see that this guy, in trying to imprison his fellow servant, he really imprisoned himself. In trying to squeeze out what was owed to him, he ended up back in jail. Well, the place that he was released from, he ended back up in bondage. Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad that when believers get freed from their own sin and they let somebody else's sin keep them in the same spot? Not walking in freedom, not walking in deliverance, not walking in all that Christ had had. All of a sudden, you receive everything that God has given you, receive the there, and then somebody else sins against you, and you can't turn them loose of their sin against you. And you're stuck in the same place. Stuck in the exact same place. We have to be willing to forgive. This, this week, when we went to camp, camp was so much fun. Lord have mercy, we had a blast. Um, I have not been to youth camp in my 30s. This is when I was in my 20s that I went to youth camp. And this camp was a very physical camp. A um, lot of activity, physical activity. And uh, man, I was just wore out when we got back from camp. I was tired. And uh, But one of the cool things at this camp they had is this uh, ropes course. And with this ropes course, um, you go through and everybody gets to stre stretch themselves. Some people got stretched just by looking at it and entertaining the idea of climbing up it and then they would almost throw up and then they were done other people stretched themselves by actually getting in the harness 
climbing up to the top deal, which was a huge deal that never climbed anything, and going, okay, I'm done. And that was a huge, huge moment for him. Other people went through the whole thing and had a great time. Well, there was this one element that only two of our group did, and it's called the pamper pole. And it's not because it pampers you. It's because you get up there and you're going to need your pampers on <laughs> because it is scary. And uh, it's a 35-foot pole, telephone pole, and it has this little platform on the top of this telephone pole. And, uh, and you're, you know, you're like, okay, you're, and you're, then there's out at about 40, 42 feet or so, stuck out, way out here's away, is a trapeze deal, this bar. And you're supposed to climb up on this pole and then just launch yourself. You're, you've got a rope connected to you. It's safe. And you're wearing a helmet. You know, a helmet's going to help you if you fall 42 feet. And, uh, and so, uh, so you, then you just launch yourself out into nothingness and grab this pole and uh, but they don't let you do that by yourself you have to go two at a time and so you have to get up there and that platform looks like it's plenty of room for one person and they put two people up there well one of the guys that went Gabriel Dunn he decided he was going to do this and he asked around to the other guys and they're like nope 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 and then Anthony Lahone said I'm in man I'm with you and Anthony Lahone they got over there, and man, I was ex I was excited for them. I started to get a little nervous for them, and and uh, they got all geared up, have their harness and their you know their helmet. It's gonna keep their head intact, and they uh, climb up. And Anthony shimmies up the pole and gets up there and, and is standing standing on top, 35 feet, just balancing on there, nothing to hold on to, nothing around you to grab onto, just air. And uh, then Gabriel begins shimmying up the pole and of course he's wiggling the pole and he's surfing at 35 feet high and uh, Gabriel finally gets up there and and, and uh, uses um, Anthony as part of the pole and pulls himself <laughs> pulls himself up and uh, they're finally both up there and what was so hilarious is the the ropes have to be positioned correctly so you don't jump into the rope and like get tied around and all this stuff it's it's critical that this thing that's here to protect you doesn't turn and become something that hurts you because you there's nothing they can do about it if it gets tied around you at 35 feet i mean there's there's nothing they can they can do and uh, so it's very critical you follow the instructions well anthony was prepared he had his rope you know running in front of him down back of his head down the back attached to him so rope was completely out of the way he could just jump no big deal well, as Gabriel is up there, of course, there's nothing to hang on to. And so he is holding his rope, which is attached to him. He's safe. And he is holding on. And they're like saying, Gabriel, let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. And he can't do it. You can just see him. And he's just trying to. Finally, he sits there and begins to let go of the rope and he lets go and then he sees that because it had been tied in a little knot and there was this little extra hanging off and he comes around and you see him grab this little dangly extra part and he's just holding on to that which of course is ha doing nothing for him doing absolutely nothing for him and they're still having to let, tell him let go let Gabriel I mean they're getting firm let go of the rope and so finally finally he sits there and he lets go of the rope and as I'm sitting there watching that 
from from 35 feet down below and completely safe. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking about that. Man, that is that is how we are sometimes with these with these things in our lives. We just flat don't want to let go. And forgiveness is not easy. And so many times we will let go of the main part, and we're just going to hold on to a little bit. I'm just going to hold on to this. This doesn't matter. It's just this little extra. We're just going to, I'm going to hold on with just a little bit. And the thing with unforgiveness, if we leave a little tiny root of bitterness, it provides a snare. It provides a potential trap to hurt us. It was just as bad for him to hold on to the little bitty, seemingly nothing extra as it was to hold that thing right in front of him. Because if he jumped, all of a sudden there's slack. He's flying through the air. Can get around him. Not good. And so it didn't matter what part of it was. He had to let go 100%. Man, so many times that's the way we are with these offenses and with these different things. Man, we're up there. It feels shaky. It's unnervous. We've got to make this jump to this place of forgiveness. And we're like, how on earth am I supposed to do this? All I know all I know is it feels a little bit better when I'm hanging on to this deal. I feel a little safer. I feel like they're not going to hurt me again. I feel like I can handle this deal if I just hang on. When really, you're not. And say if you're, you're held the whole time, you are putting yourself in jeopardy. The dumbest thing that you can do is to hang on to the unforgiveness. That is the worst thing you can do. You are totally and completely stuck and putting yourself in peril. We have to let go 100%. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That little bitty bit, if we don't turn loose of it, I'm telling you, it will stay there. Because as long as we're hanging on to it, we're going to end up rehearsing it and reliving it. I've used this story multiple times on talking about forgiveness and whatnot, but it's just the best story I've got. So, But uh, my grandfather is a big golfer, and he's golfed for years and years and years. And you golf as much as he's golfed in his years. Eventually, what happened to him happens. And he was on an old number one tee box there in Andrews, Texas. And somebody, would you believe? That's what he always says, would you believe? This old boy towed the ball. And the guy drives it, and it just hits off the tip of the club, and just at like 10 feet away, nails my grandfather in the chest. So you don't want to take, you know, we played paintball, and that was difficult. But I tell you, you want to have a lot of guts, let somebody drive a golf ball into your chest. Now, that's manly. And so... <laughs> And uh, anyways, and so it was an accident. He got he got nailed in the chest, and uh, my grandfather tells tells stories, and of course he would share about share this story. Well, we ran into my grandfather like six months after it, and he was you know sharing with somebody the story. And as he would tell the story, he'd go, "Would you believe?" And someone's over there towed the ball, and that ball came and it went boom, and hit me right there. And then he'd go, "Oh." And I still got the bruise. And so he had to say, Papa, the bruise you have now is not the bruise from the golf ball. It is the bruise from you telling the story. 
because you rebruise yourself every time because to communicate it man you got to show the intensity you got to show it and man you relive the whole thing and I tell you so many people are carrying wounds from years and years ago and you would swear it was that person that gave you that bruise all those years ago when really it's the rehearsing and not letting go and all these different things and the bruises you have now are self-inflicted bruises they're not bruises from that original deal and where forgiveness is a unforgiveness is a trap where you become in a prison of and yet you have the key in your pocket to get out we have to be willing to forgive we have been forgiven so much I've always heard it said unforgiveness is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die it just it's it's pointless there's no reason to hold it that you you will set yourself free when you're finally willing to forgive and so people hear messages like this and they're like okay I want to forgive I want to forgive and then they come back two weeks later and say, Pastor Brandon, I chose to forgive, but I still, I think about it and I still get angry. I still have these things. What is the deal? Did I forgive? Did I not forgive? What's going on here? And the great Corey Tim Boone <clears throat> shared a wonderful story. She was, if you're not familiar with her, she got a phenomenal story. She's a Dutch believer and uh, really helped the, the Jews as they were helped hiding them. She, she was part of the Dutch underground and hiding the Jews as they were fleeing Nazi Germany. Um, her and her family protected um, just scores and scores of people. Eventually she was ratted out by another Dutch person and her entire family was arrested. Uh, her father died in a concentration camp. Her sister died in a concentration camp. She got released from a concentration camp based on a clerical error there was a paperwork mistake and she got released from the concentration camp and all of the young women her age were executed 10 days after her accidental release she was at, and she would 10 days later she would have been she would have been gone and she made it through and of course a, a lady that gave of herself like that and suffered that kind of loss had some forgiveness issues to deal with I think she had some some massive stuff that she had to handle, and she was talking uh, to a uh, Lutheran pastor, and who was helping her deal with her dilemma, and uh, he told her he said dealing with forgiveness is like climbing up in that bell tower over there, and he pointed to the bell tower, and he said you get over there and you grab that rope and you give it a good yank and you let go, and you have bell rings. But then for some reason, you've let go, but it keeps ringing. And it rings again. And it rings again. And it rings again. And finally, as you leave it alone, as things keep going, eventually, that silences. She just couldn't understand why she would still get so angry at these different things. She said, I am choosing to forgive. And he told her, he said, the moment you choose to forgive is when you let go of the rope. And he said, don't get upset with yourself because the anger hasn't quit ringing out yet. He said, you stay in the place of choosing to not grab that rope again, not start the process again, not start yanking on that thing again. And as it goes, you will look up one day, and not only because of your choice of forgiveness, you will be freed from the anger 
as well. Some people make a choice to forgive and they get freed from the anger of it immediately. But I know in my life, most of the time, it's staying in a place of forgiveness is choosing not to yank that rope again. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it and just let it ring out and let it work out. Clara Barton, the founder of the American Red Cross, was somebody brought up a vicious deed that was done to her. And they and she just was like you know, she was acting like she couldn't remember. And, and they just kept saying, no, you're bound to remember. And just go back through it again. And finally she said, I distinctly remember forgetting that. They wouldn't leave her alone. And finally she's like, I have put that behind me. Yes, she has some mental recollection. But she remembers choosing to forget it, to move on. The forgiveness process is not a lightweight deal, folks. I so wish it was. Jesus used the hundred denarii to let us know that even in his eyes, this isn't a lightweight deal. His disciples said, oh, help our faith in this area of forgiveness. But I tell you what, it is crucial. It is crucial. Or we will live in a prison that we have the key in our pocket. And we will hurt no one but ourselves. We have to choose to let go of that rope. Leave it let go and make a decision to distinctly remember forgetting that. We're gone. We're done. Paul says, I, forgetting those things are behind, I press on. Until we remove those things that are behind, we can't press on. We're going to bump into them over and over again. Well, this morning, I want to uh, first make it available that if any...